Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we are so thrilled to have a repeat guest, Manal Weedle. Welcome, Manal. Hello. Yay. <laughs> so excited. Hello, hello. Uh, we loved having you last time and we're just thrilled to have you back. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. <laughs> I love your podcast. I love listening to you all. This is just the highlight of my week. Oh, yay. That is so kind. <laughs> Manal was last with us for season four, episode seven, Together. And that was recorded about six months ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so, Manel, what have you been up to in the last six months? Let's see. I've just finished year 15 of teaching chemistry at Blue Valley High. Woo-hoo. I never thought this year could be harder than last school year, but so it seemed. <laughs> uh, let's see. December, my son turned two. Aww. So he's now two and a half. So just enjoying the summer with him. Um, I recently really got obsessed with the Parade of Hearts. I was just fascinated by it. So I checked off all the hearts on the list. So that was really, really exciting. I enjoyed seeing your pictures on Facebook oh, about that. so much fun. Well, can you explain this? I know vaguely about this, but for our yeah. listeners outside of Kansas City. Uh, it was just the neatest thing. It was a collaboration with Kansas City artists. Um, they all had the same model. If you can imagine a heart, um, it was made out of fiberglass. There was quite a process actually that went into each heart. Um, there were 150. 56 hearts total. Wow. And each heart had just a different message, a different theme. It represented something. But the people that brought this creative hearts together, they just thought we were just in this time where we needed that togetherness. We needed people to feel connected to one another. We needed people to experience the city. For me, that was one of the best things was just getting to be in parts of the city that I had not been in a long time, nor had I been to ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just a, a really a way to bring folks together. I think especially after not that we're not done with COVID, but especially just in this, the last two, two and a half years, just for how challenging they've been, it was just a way to really unite the city. So each of the hearts that you would visit would have a little QR code. You'd scan the QR code. It would give you information about the artist. It would give you information about the heart. Uh, and then it would log how many scans each heart had. Oh, and then cool. at the end of it all, they collected all the hearts and the hearts were throughout the entire city. So there was one in Lawrence. We went all the way out to Parkville. We went to Platte City. I mean, they were spread out throughout the entire metro. And at the end of it, they had an auction and they bid on all people bid on all of the hearts. And then they were sold for you know the highest bidder at a certain date. And then they picked, I think, 10, 10 or 12 that they did a live auction on. It was just really, really cool. And it, it benefited different things like KU Med had several. Um, there were some other companies that really stepped up. Burns McDonald. I paid attention to that because that's where my husband worked, but it was just fascinating. And it really was fun. I mean, I would take Henry with me sometimes, or if I could go by myself, it was a little bit easier if I was by myself, but you would meet people at the heart and they'd say, you know, do you want me to get a picture? Or can Aww. I get a picture for you? And, oh, I'm at, you know, a hundred and this many hearts. I have this many left or, oh my gosh, I haven't been to this area in so long. So it really, all the things that they wanted to accomplish, I think they did. And I know for me, I got to go to the Nelson. I haven't been to the Nelson in so long. And it was just, it took my breath away how beautiful it was. And then the other one, I think that really took my breath away was the Liberty Memorial. I had uh, never been on that, on the mall of that and walking up those stairs. I mean, it was just another breathtaking moment. Our city is really beautiful. I'm, I'm biased and I know I haven't lived anywhere else, but it, it was just gorgeous. It just, it was so much it fun. It is such an underrated city. I agree with you. Oh, that's so cool. That. So I did that. That was kind of one task. And then um, just working the wine business. Oh, yeah. um, I always get just some fun relief from that so that's just been a really good time uh and that wine is so good because you were so lovely to send us wine that was so kind and oh my gosh 
really, really good. Like people good. should, if you're wine yeah, drinkers we are out there. Not, we are yeah. not paid spokespeople. No. We are just satisfied <laughs> recipients of this gift. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Clean crafted, I tell you. Makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are so thrilled to have you back. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Loyal viewer and loyal listener. Yes, yes, <laughs> to both. <laughs> well, today we are discussing Parenthood Season 5, Episode 12, Stay a Little Longer. It was written by Julia Brownell, directed by Michael Weaver. It originally aired on January 9th, 2014. And here is the TV Guide synopsis. Hank has questions after Sarah gets good news about a job. Jasmine is upset when Crosby invites Oliver to live with him while the band is experiencing problems. <laughs> Joel and Pete try to finish their project, and Amber deals with a harsh truth. We were wondering in the last episode where Amber was. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought we would start with Amber since she's like back. Yeah. Give her her due diligence. Now, Melissa, I remember the last time we talked about it, you were wondering if we were supposed to view Ryan re-enlisting as like them breaking up. I have the same question. Yeah. Here, I think it's very clear that Amber is interpreting it yeah. as abandonment or giving up yeah. on their relationship. So do you two think that is a fair interpretation for her to have? I mean, I think she feels like she's getting bailed on. And I think that's totally fair. The thing that threw me off was how she just made it clear. Like she said that the engagement was over. So I'm like, God, did I miss that? Am I reading into that? And then I noticed even at the end, she was still wearing her ring. When she went to go see him, her ring was still on. Ooh, so I'm like, okay, good so observation. I did not notice when that. When she hugged him, she went to go visit him at the hotel. The ring was still on her hand. Because I'm thinking if the engagement was over, I was expecting like a, this dramatic moment of putting the ring down. Okay, fine. If you're leaving, then we're done. And I don't feel like I remember that. Yeah. I feel like, I know everyone that says this, that's a Mae Whitman fan, just talks endlessly about how amazing she is. And I just feel like I have to echo that <laughs> yeah. even more in this episode. Amazing. The way she displayed all of her emotions, I think were so fair. She went from being angry to being like compassionate. What I loved was that she maintained her boundary. So this is, this is my hard line and I'm done. I cannot give anymore. I cannot do anymore. So for me, I interpreted that it, it was done. The only thing I was in the air about was just like, does this mean the engagement is over? Or does this just mean like you guys are taking a break? That was the part that was confusing to me. Yeah, no, that's good. I think I am now just processing how I feel about it. And I think for me, if I was with somebody who re-enlisted, it would be the re-enlisting without telling me that would make me mm -hmm. think, okay, we're done. If you have like a conversation together and Ryan's like, I really feel called to go back I feel like it's what I'm meant to do. Will you be okay with that? Will we survive? Then it's not a breakup. It's just a really hard development in the relationship. But I think if someone mm -hmm. just takes a different life plan from what you had been planning together, mm -hmm. I think maybe, yeah, maybe that is a breakup. But I'm not sure if he broke up with her or if she broke up with him. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like the talk he had with Zeke should have been the talk he had with Amber. The reason I came by was to to tell you that I hope what I said the other night isn't the reason why you re-enlisted. No. Because I no, don't want Zeke. Amber to think that, you know, it was me. That... No, Zeke, it wasn't. And I'll, I'll find some way of making sure that she knows that. Yeah. The military is my life now. You know, I wanted Amber to be my life and Berkeley and your whole family and you know, I love her so much, but I don't uh, know that I'm good for her. 
How is she? You haven't talked to her? No. No, she, uh, she's pretty mad. Well, you're leaving. Yeah, I know. She doesn't want to talk to me. Sad. I don't know. Okay. Hey, Zeke. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've done so much for me. Godspeed, Ryan. You know, this idea of like feeling like you were in these two universes and not knowing where I'm like, she's been asking you and asking you, where are you at? What are you feeling? What like she has been taking a pulse constantly, constantly, constantly. And he just makes everything sound like it's fine. Like this was your opening. That yeah. would have been the great thing to say. Yeah. I don't feel right here. I don't I don't I can't do this world and this world. And I feel like that would have opened the conversation to reenlisting. And that would have given her some closure. Like, I just feel like she doesn't have closure on what happened. That's good. Yeah. You're totally right. Also what he said in that scene about wondering if he was good for Amber, mm. that to me felt like a more accurate assessment of the situation and their relationship than we've heard from Ryan up to mm -hmm. now. Like last we heard from Ryan, he was talking to Amber and saying, things have been perfect. And she was like, perfect? What? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, what like she had to be like questioning even his perception of basic reality. Yeah. And here, maybe it's because he made this decision and is already in a better place about it, or who knows, but it, it seemed like this is a good question to ask. And I don't mm -hmm. even know what my answer is to the question, yeah. if Ryan is good for her or not. I think it's debatable, but he wasn't even asking that question up to now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why does he keep having, like maybe he feels like he can talk to Zeke in a way he can't talk to Amber, which I think is also a sign that they probably aren't meant to be together, mm -hmm. at least not at this point, because he should be able to be that open with the person he's going to build his life with, you know? And I get why he would have a special connection with Zeke, but to marry a person, you have to be able to be that vulnerable and honest with them too. Yeah. It seems like he wanted to be fairy tale with her. I was a little confused of Zeke's role, like facilitating the conversation with each of them. <laughs> like I felt like usually he's always pro his granddaughter, pro Amber, always taking her side first. But I feel like this was the first time where I feel like he didn't. I felt like he was like totally like swinging Ryan's way and like trying to, you know, shift that conversation to everything toward him. And I just thought that was so interesting. Even when he came to visit her at her apartment. Stopped by and I saw Ryan yesterday. Okay. I don't want to talk about Ryan at all. So yeah. please. He's, he's pretty uh, torn up. That's terrible. Do you know who else is torn up? Me. Cause I got broken up with. I know that if you let this kid go and you don't say goodbye, you're gonna regret it for the rest of your life. You realize that I didn't ask him to leave, right? You realize he broke off our engagement. He asked me to marry him and then he took it back. He left me. But he deserves a goodbye. What about what I deserve? What about what your granddaughter deserves after I did exactly what you told me to do, which was to be patient and kind and loving and open and try to stand by him through everything. And I did that. And I know you have a weird military thing Amber. with him, but what about me? Amber, 
Here. Give me your hand. <laughs> Sweetheart, do you love him? I don't know why you would ask me a question like that. I don't know what you're trying to say, but I don't want to talk about this with you. It's, it's, it's not your business. It's just not. I don't know if he was like going through his own stuff with Camille. Mm-hmm. Like even when he said, well, you're leaving, you know, he tells, mm. tells Ryan, well, you're leaving. And it's like, well, are you dealing with your own stuff about Camille leaving you? And you're not, mm. you know, you haven't processed that or kind of done that. That was just the first time where I felt like he didn't take a side of the family. And mm. I just thought that was so interesting because it didn't align with how he's been before. Yeah. I wondered a little bit the same thing. And when I watched it the second time, I noticed in that scene in the hotel room, the first thing he says to Ryan is I want to make sure that you didn't re-enlist because of what Mm -hmm. I said to you. And suddenly I thought, oh, I wonder if Zeke feels like he was trying to help, Mm -hmm. but I I think maybe he wondered, did I stick my nose in a little too far? And now I'm going to hurt my granddaughter because I basically Mm -hmm. told her fiance, Mm -hmm. go back where things make sense. You have to decide. (laughs) And he did decide and crap, what did I do? And so now that maybe he's just trying to, clean up this mess he made Mm, yeah because i actually thought amber had a point when she told zeke to like butt out and Mm -hmm. and later when she apologized to him that's lovely you know i think it's fine you know she maybe was angrier with him than she meant to be and i'm sure she's projecting because she's really angry at ryan but i also thought I think it's fair to be like, what about your granddaughter? And actually her tone really cracked me up because it reminded me of, I think it's season two when she and Drew are fighting. Did you think that too? You know, I think it's rude to leave your family. Yeah. (laughs) You know who else got hurt? Me. Yeah. And I'm like, I really enjoy that flavor of Amber. Yeah. (laughs) She's mad and sarcastic. (laughs) But she articulates it so well. I mean, I just put the way I said her acting was impeccable. Like just everything that she put out there, it it was right. It was, it was deserved and it was, it should have been without saying like she just felt the way she needed to feel. And I thought it was okay. And yeah, the apology to Zeke, I put for what I go, you had nothing to apologize to your grandfather for. I was legit confused when it I, ha- I was like, same. What's I was like this what? for? I'm like, am I forgetting something? I same. And then I was like, and then you accepted it. Like Zeke accepted the apology. Like she did do something wrong. And then I was kind of pissed. I was like, no, <laughs> she, yeah. she just said, listen, this is where I'm at with this. And I don't need, I don't need where you're coming from. And I know you're coming from a place of love, but this is, this is my line. Yeah. Please do not cross my line. I felt like she did it so respectfully with so much love. And it was just the first time where I was like, what the, what are you doing? Like, that is not right. Yeah. And I, I admired both of them in that scene, Zeke and Amber, because like you said, I admired her for sticking up for herself and setting mm-hmm. a boundary. And it wasn't a hard boundary. Like Mm-mm. they did talk a little bit about it, but there was a point at which she was not going to go any further. And I thought that is more than fair because she heard him out. You know, Mm -hmm. she heard what he was there to say. And then she said, I don't want to talk about this with you. And then for her to say, it's not your business. She's right. It's not. And I admired him because, and because then when she said that, he goes, okay, he didn't gripe. And he left. But he brings up Ryan. I think she immediately says, I don't want to talk about this. And I think he talks about it for a little bit anyway. (laughs) And so I could see her already being like, hey, man. And then I think the second time when she's like, again, you know, so that especially made me feel like she had no reason to apologize because Mm -hmm. she heard him out even after he kind of 
violated that. Although, Manal, something you just said reminded me, my husband was on last time, and we had kind of an interesting debate because Amy apologizes to Drew about something, and I said that I didn't think Amy needed to, and it made me almost angry that Drew accepted the apology. And Mark was like, well, maybe it's rude to say you don't owe me an apology, and it's actually like more respectful if someone gives you one to say, I accept. And now I can't get that thought out of my head because oh. you just echoed what I thought. And now yeah. I, I truly don't know what I think. I don't know if, if somebody gives you an apology that you don't really deserve. Is it is it better to accept it or to say no apology needed? I genuinely don't know. That's not the point of this I, conversation. Yeah. I know, but it made me... No, but yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a triggering question. It's like, hmm, which one is right? Yeah, and if Amber felt genuinely bad about how she spoke to him, yeah, maybe there's no harm in apologizing, but... Then I worry, like, well, some people are always going to, I mean, me, an overthinker, and I yeah. know, Melissa, you I'm a chronic over-apologizer. I'm yeah. always going to assume I messed something up. Well, maybe yep. not always, but like 99.9% yep. of the time. <laughs> be like, well, I did this wrong. And I'm also going to think an apology is a great olive branch, even if deep down I don't think I need to do it. I'll think, well, but this is a valuable way to patch up some friction. But I don't think that's always healthy. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm with you. So I am with you, too. I will say, though, I admired Zeke while he may have been testing that boundary. Ultimately, I think it was a nice move to try and coax her into a bigger picture perspective. Mm that I do not blame her for not having in that moment. Yeah. But clearly I think on some level it got through to her because she then ultimately does say goodbye to Ryan. I'm so mad at you. I don't understand why you would do this. I don't, I don't understand why you would leave me. I ever really will. I think what makes me the angriest is that you would go somewhere that I can't know for sure that you're safe. So just please take care of yourself, okay? Yeah. And promise me that you'll come home safe, okay? Promise. I'll be careful. Okay. Well, that's, that's all I came here to say. I just feel like there was so much that was unsaid. Like it was almost worse than not saying goodbye. (laughs) I'm like, there was no, I love you. There was no, like, she was still speaking from anger. You could tell she still wasn't like 100% being okay with saying what she said to him. She was doing it more for the fact, like, if I don't do this, I'm going to have a regret. It still wasn't like as forthcoming or as loving as it could have been. But she was right to feel that way. I'm glad that she wasn't like, oh my God, I love you so much. And please, like, please come back to, like, I'm glad she wasn't like that. It was just, I I was just annoyed. I was so annoyed because I felt like there was so much more that was unsaid than that was said. And it almost made it worse than better. Wow. No, that's, that's really good because I don't think, I think I just kind of went with it. I appreciated that he didn't promise her, like she asked him, you know, that you'll come back okay. And instead he just said, I'll be careful, which I thought, Okay, that's a promise you can make. But now that you've said all this, I'm I'm so curious as to why he couldn't tell her those things. You know, like why mm-hmm. is it that he can't be his most vulnerable on a self with her? Like I really believe he loves her. Why can't he 
be scared with her? Does he have this sense of who, like, he needs to be strong? You know, does he have this idea of, like, what, what a partner is and a man is? Because ironically, she would like him to be a little less strong. <laughs> you know, she would like mm-hmm. him to be a little more vulnerable with him. And so, yeah. Or maybe his moments of weakness are like when he beats up that army buddy yeah. and almost kills him or beats up Zach or gets drunk and takes her car. And right, like mm-hmm. maybe if he's equating weakness with that, then he thinks, well, when I get weak, bad stuff happens. So yeah, I have to keep it together. I can't, yeah. But I don't know. But why can it he seem, say those things? They to seem like very different <laughs> <laughs> like, like he's an intelligent guy. I think he can yeah, understand the difference between those things. I totally went with the goodbye. I, I was relieved for her because I thought, I thought Zeke was right, but the point he was making was separate from whether or not she was in a place to do something so painful. But I, I think she will sleep easier while he's gone, mm. knowing that she wished him well, especially when he's in a circumstance in which he really could be hurt or killed, like that's Ugh. not an outlandish thought. And ironically, I thought the speech, this is a separate storyline, which we'll get to, but I thought the speech that Jasmine gave Oliver, I thought mm. in that scene was not great advice, but that it applied much more to Amber. I thought, yeah, <laughs> because you will regret this later is a good reason for Amber to do what she did. Yes. Yeah. Good point. But it's so hard because I also agree, like, I don't think Amber was actually there yet. Mm -hmm. I think she got, like, she was sort of forced to do it because I think she knew there was a ticking clock. Yes. Yes. You can't wait until you're ready because he'll be gone. She had, she had to put the cart before the horse. So it didn't totally ring true. Yes. Even though I do believe she doesn't want him killed. Yeah, I believe yes. that. But yeah, she wasn't able to say all that she wanted to say because she's not there yet. That summarizes it perfect. Did you do any sleuthing about where Fort Lewis is? I did. Okay, <laughs> good. I was hoping. Okay, I just, the only context clue I have was that it rains a lot there. Yeah. Fort Lewis was an army base in Washington State from 1917 to 2010. Oh. Okay. Oh. Caleb, was this a goof? Well, it merged with McCord Air Force Base in 2010 to form Joint Base Lewis-McCord. So it does still exist, although technically it's now called Joint Base lewis But maybe that's the way that everyone calls it the Sears Tower and no one calls it the Willis Tower. Yeah, Yeah. it seemed to me like not a uh, mistake. Okay. But yeah, it's in Washington State. Okay. Okay. I'm so glad you asked. I know. I was like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for your theme of the episode. I can't wait for the sleuthing. It's like the best. I love that. I love it. Well, since I mentioned Jasmine, shall we pivot over there? Yeah. So (laughs) I was irate. First of all, let me say, I remember the storyline of Oliver living with them. I would have said it was multiple episodes. I would have said that too, actually. Same, yeah. same here. I thought it was a lot longer. Yeah. yeah. So unless there's a future incident, which I don't think there is. It seemed now, like it was wrapped up. This was just it. It was one episode. So maybe it made a huge impact on me. I don't know. But after all the shit that Crosby <laughs> gave Jasmine over Renee living with yeah. him. Renee, who birthed his wife, <laughs> is family and is stable and sane and yeah. loving to their grands, to, to all of oh, them. God. How dare he allow Oliver to stay with them when Jasmine is behind him 
like one of those people on the tarmac at airports, yeah. <laughs> like directing <laughs> plane tech, like going, no, 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 no. Oh, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I like borderline hate Crosby in season five. I don't know. I love him most of the time. And on the rewatch, I've been like, yeah, Crosby's great. Except this season, I'm like, man, just I've talked about it before, but it's like they have regret. I just find him almost insufferable. I don't know. Like, but weirdly, I found um, Oliver staying with them to be delightful. I don't know. Yeah, there were definitely some some a couple like what the fuck moments for sure like rolling a joint at the dinner table. I was like, what? <laughs> that's that's what you're doing. You're going to do that. And I just like Jasmine was like in mom mode the entire time. Like it's like she had another child is what it yeah. felt like. Yeah. She was so good with yeah. that. Yes. Yeah, she <laughs> was so good. I would say I should say you, fourth because yeah. she actually does have two kids. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I was counting Crosby and Oliver as her, you know, <laughs> yeah. additional yeah. So children. It was like, yeah, she had yeah adult children and children children. It was just <laughs> her. She was kind of like the muse in the episode, especially just kind of how the end of that storyline wrapped up but she was cracking me up she, she just was had hilarious in this one yeah. yeah her delivery of the word no like oh. um <laughs> was so funny i kept rewinding it because like i can't even do it she, like when when he leaves and she's like no like i don't even, it's not even anger it's just like what just happened uh, yeah that one was funny i did look up what bali shag is oh yeah, yeah. it's a dutch style tobacco blend i did not yeah. know that I guess my mom didn't smoke those before she turned eight. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I had a confession. So when they're watching Jaws with Jabbar, my confession is that I do not think Jaws is scary. And while I'm a huge John Williams fan and I love his score to Jaws on its own, I think it's kind of out of place in that movie. It's this like kind of trashy horror movie with this man-eating shark and there's this like elegant lush <laughs> score sophisticated score and you're like what what is all these beautiful strings and brass and stuff for this like robot shark that's lumbering through the yeah <laughs> maybe it elevates maybe the source material it is an oscar-winning score so i don't mean to poo-poo it but i didn't think it was that bad like i was like i could think of a lot of movies that i thought would have been worse to show a 10 year old oh, now but that's a good point it's not like gory mm-hmm. or anything i did wonder that i was like i actually could see where a person might be like it's a classic <laughs> as yeah. opposed to yeah. you know human centipede or something I don't yeah know, which no, i've yeah, never seen yeah. but yeah like there are, I, I could actually see yeah. feigning ignorance but and he really was talking about it from like the musical aspect like I feel like that's the take that I had on it was just you've got to listen to this score and that's totally what it was about not really about the gore of it yeah so it wasn't yeah I just felt like he really was doing it more for his passion for music and the music you get to hear in that versus yeah so I think that yeah of all the movies he could pick I think that was the big reason why he picked that yeah so so funny (laughs) middle of the night like what are you doing and then just the way jasmine comes out and responds the way crosby comes out and responds like oh "Oh my god this is so classic to the two of you and your relationship nothing about this experience is shocking me no (laughs) that's no so well put yeah that's the sort of thing that's been driving me crazy about crosby this season like when she you know basically oliver reveals that crosby smokes with him no big deal except then he lies to Jasmine, you know, when she's like, you've been smoking. And and I think what gets me about it is it's always played for laughs and it's at the expense of the characters and their integrity. Yeah. Like, I think the show, as far as these two are concerned, at least this season, it's like, <laughs> well, who cares if Crosby looks like a jerk if it's funny? And I 
I don't. I, to me, it's not worth it. Isn't it, it hilarious how Jasmine's husband keeps lying to her? Yeah, I'm like, that's not hilarious. <laughs> right, you know? it's not funny. If, no. he's, if he's caught in that moment and he's like, uh, you know, like that's maybe funnier than him being like, of course not. I'm like, the ease with which you lie to her is really concerning. And the, even the way he goes along with, like he, he sits down to watch Jaws, he gets sucked in and then stands up and says, wow, what she said. You know, I'm like. How many times <laughs> does she have to tell you? Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. that's funny, but I'm also like, you keep making your wife like the shrew or something, like support mm-hmm. her, like back her up. And I maybe, maybe he's in a weird position since he has to make all of her happy. Okay. All right. I guess, but I don't know. It really yeah. bothers yeah. me. Yeah. I continue to think Tyson Ritter is hilarious. Like, I'm like, <laughs> he maybe should be a bigger deal. I'm really, he I enjoy Mrs. Crosby, Spano Crosby. That was yes! a big <laughs> The little part where he sang to the starfish, like. It's a mean Mr. Starfish. Only like me. (laughs) That's the best. (laughs) What? It was so random. I loved it. (laughs) See, I think I can enjoy his brand of like ridiculous because I'm not invested in him. Like, I mean, he's a bigger asshole than Crosby, obviously. He's about to go sleep with some woman that he's made no promises to. And I mean, like, what a skeevy thing to say, but we're not supposed to, like, have been invested in his character development for five years, you know? So I guess, or or I'm a hypocrite. It's one of those. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure which. (laughs) So anyway... Did you guys enjoy him as well? Like, did you think he was? I did, yeah. And I think it's because he He is kind of like Crosby. He has some endearing moments that are just really sweet. You know, like when you see him just get really raw talking to Jasmine and she's kind of uncovering that layer. It's like, oh my gosh, there's a human in there. There's a really sweet, kind human in there. And he he shows those like in little windows throughout his experience on the show. So I think that's what makes him so endearing. It's like, he isn't just an asshole. He's an asshole, but he also has these really, really sweet moments. Yeah. Yeah. I've often thought that the reason Crosby, like it's ironic that Crosby hates him so much because I'm like, he is you. But he you is gonna, you. Yeah. <laughs> Were you going to play something, Caleb? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, let's discuss Jasmine's wisdom that she imparts to him. Did Crosby ever tell you that I was a professional dancer? Really? Yes. That's hot. We're talking like jazzercise pants or talking like exotique? kind of vibe none of the above you know I started dancing when I was six and I wanted to be a dancer when I grew up but as I got older I realized that there were there were a lot of girls with the same dream and I wondered like why why was I gonna make it I totally get that you know but I went for it anyway because I knew if I didn't that the rest of my life I would wonder if I could have made it. I just had to know. You think that might be why you don't want to go back to the studio? Because once you're done, it's over. The album's going to be out there. People are going to judge it. And there's nothing you can do about it anymore. Oh, I know. I'm not afraid of sucking. That's not what it's about. I'm not afraid of that. Mm -hmm. What I am afraid of is just being mediocre. I just... I just want it to be great, you know? Mm-hmm. That great that you dreamed when you were a kid, you mm-hmm. know, like the real deal. This is all I've ever known how to do. This, I, I literally have no other skills. <laughs> it's not funny, I'm serious. No, I, I agree with you. Look, Oliver, you gotta get it out there. 
Otherwise, you'll always wonder. I really like the distinction, like him mm-hmm. saying that he wasn't afraid of sucking, he was afraid of being mediocre, because I thought that showed some self-awareness. Like, he knows that he has some talent. This wasn't about false modesty to get, like, a compliment or something. Like, I mm-hmm. thought I thought that showed some depth that maybe we haven't seen before, because I could see someone with his talent level being afraid that it was just okay, though. Mm-hmm. Like, that was nothing special. That's, ooh, that's, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I said earlier that I, I kind of disagreed with Jasmine's advice, but not vehemently. Like, I don't think it was bad advice, but one of my mentors, I think it's fair to call him that, Alan Menken, says, invest in the process, not in the result. You know, it's like someone's digging a hole because they want to, you know, find gold. You know, first they're digging this hole going, what the hell am I digging this hole for? It's just (laughs) dirt. It's just dirt. I'm not getting anywhere. It's just dirt. Can I stop? No, keep going. And eventually, bing, there's gold? Oh, okay. I don't mind digging a hole as much anymore. Uh-huh. Maybe you'll hit gold earlier, or maybe you're going to go a long way before you'll hit Maybe there isn't gold. You'll sit down at the piano, and you will just keep going. You'll keep digging the hole until you hit gold? Or not. Sometimes you don't hit it. There is no perfect piece of music. There is no perfect song. There's just whatever song you're going to write, and then you make it as good as, as it can be. And when you liberate yourself from that, then you go, throw it out, throw this out, throw that out. It's about the process of doing it and loving doing it and having fun doing it. If the fun part of being an artist for you is releasing something and people thinking it's great and praising you for it, you're going to spend much, if not most, of your time being disappointed and freaked out. But if the fun part is you creating it and solving the problems that arise and fitting the puzzle pieces together, then your satisfaction is much more within your control and will be much more consistent. And I thought, well, the reason to finish the album is not to avoid regret later on. It's because creating is what you do. And this is the project. So create it. Do it. What about it is not appealing to you? Figure that problem out. And if if figuring that problem out is fun for you, then the problem is going to get solved. Whether people like it or not is not within your control. So mm-hmm. put that aside. Process over product is how I've heard that phrased in the poetry world. You have to yeah. enjoy the, the process of it. Actually, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast before, but this podcast really helped me with that. Because sometimes when writing a poem, I would have trouble getting that part out of my head. Like like jumping way too far ahead, like, oh, if this is good, where can I submit it? <laughs> like, like, which is a terrible way to think while you're in the process of writing the poem. Like, that's not at all what you should be focused on. And I think it really helped me have the right priorities in my writing doing this podcast because... I had no larger podcasting goals. This isn't like a stepping stone to anything. <laughs> this is just fun with Caleb and our guests, you know, f- friends mm-hmm. we have on. And I, I mean, I just love it. And if anybody ever listens to it and tells us they like it, it's a real bonus, but it's certainly not why we're doing it, mm-hmm. right? It's just, It was like we were losing our minds in the pandemic and it like really helped and it's fun. And anyway, I'm like, oh, this helps me understand this whole concept of you do something for the enjoyment of the thing and not for what happens later, which yeah, you have very little control over. Like, yeah. yeah. And that doesn't mean, at least to me, 
it certainly doesn't mean you don't care about the result. Right, right. But you just understand that the result is one part of the process. It's the mm-hmm. end part. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. and that then I, then I start thinking of life and death. I'm like, well, death is just the last part of life. It's just Whoa. part of the process. <laughs> but I'm like, it, it's hard to accept sometimes. And when you, especially when you are invested in the process, how do you know when it's over? Because it's like, does that mean every poem you've ever written you think cannot be improved? I know you and I'm sure they all can. <laughs> I'm sure you don't think that. But I, yeah, but yeah. I also know it's like but there does come a point where you go, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm pleased Both are with true. this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that that can be hard to decide when that moment is. But anyway, but I I I did agree with both of you that the scene revealed depth in Oliver mm-hmm. that I really liked seeing. And yeah. it also just a chance for Jasmine to do something, anything. I gotta say, I'm noticing between like last episode where she had a scene with Sarah and it felt like a major revelation. Like, oh my God, she's talking to someone one-on-one and Crosby's not yeah. in the scene. I think she might be the most underutilized Aww. cast member. Like Amber has a relationship with her aunt Christina and Hattie goes to shadow aunt Julia at work. Does anyone ever do anything with aunt Jasmine? Does she ever do anything with any of her in-laws? Does she ever have one-on-one moments with her in-laws? Like a Camille Jasmine scene or a Jasmine Zeke scene. It just feels like she only exists on the show as an extension of Crosby. Ugh. And like, and what is she even doing now professionally? She I teaches, think she's, right? Yeah, teaches. I yeah. think mm-hmm. she's like made a reference to it here or there. I just feel like we hardly ever know what's going on in Jasmine's life. Agreed. And it's a shame because it's like she has seen this whole episode. She was a hoot in her like strict mom mode. (laughs) But I'm like, well, you clearly have so much talent and I feel like they're not capitalizing on it. And I totally agree. To some degree, I understand like Joel was that way for a long time. And now I feel like this season he's really getting a chance to do more. But I'm like, well, when's Jasmine's turn? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was at the expense of his losing all the humor. We were like, oh, remember, Jules funny. We forgot that. And now I'm like, oh, I know why we forgot that. He's humorless now. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But, yeah. He is just like tense. He's like a tense ball this entire season. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, just, whew. Yeah. He's carrying a lot. Yeah. 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 With Jasmine, the one thing I was kind of shocked, she's like the ultimate hype partner. She hypes Crosby up and makes him feel so like everything he does is amazing. So I was kind of interesting. I, I, she didn't incorporate that in her little speech. I thought she would say something about, you know, Crosby's vision for this studio and what he had to overcome, yeah. and what he, you know, and Adam did because she's like the ultimate hype partner. Like I would not say that Crosby is the ultimate hype partner to Jasmine. I mean, ironic episode of, because he's yeah, much luckier. He needs it. Yeah. And he, and he yeah. needs that validation. Yeah, yeah, he does. Like when just the episode of her asking to come to the dance class yeah. and he just makes a big deal of it. And then eventually, you know, he comes around, but yeah, I'm just like, man, she is like the person you always want in your corner. And she was the same way with Sarah, you know, trying stuff, but you need to wear that. You're going to look so good in that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's this, I mean, just underutilized. Makes me, yeah. I wish she was around more. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that Oliver's song, Jasmine All the Time, really struck a great balance between almost being good and almost being terrible. (laughs) So it was just mediocre? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Oh no, his biggest fear. (laughs) It's weird. It felt to me like one of those optical illusions where it's like you look at it this way and it's the young lady. (laughs) This way and it's the old lady. Where it was like, it wasn't both at the same time. It was like, oh, if you listen one way, you go, oh, 
you know, yeah, polish that up and that's going to be a great song. And you look at another one and you're like, oh, holy crap. There's, that's unsalvageable. I don't know. I like the title a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of reminded me a little of Hey There, Delilah, and I don't know why. And I think that <laughs> song you could look at either way as well. Like, what a fun bop, or this is ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe the story behind Hey There, Delilah, this has nothing to do with anything, but I think he was trying to, like, lure a woman who was not his girlfriend, like, away from her partner. And so then you're like, ew. Like, when you know that, yeah. it's not so cute. And so it's like... I think this song is cute mostly because I don't think that Oliver is hitting on Jasmine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's real close. No, I mean, I yeah. he's not. But like, and then he's like trying to compliment her by saying he wants oh to be God, with someone. Oh my God, that. <laughs> so uh, not suave. Like yeah. a younger version of you, but like not because, you know, I'm like, oh God, insert foot, dude. Insert foot <laughs> and mouth. He Just even seems right to away get on it. a motorcycle. Come yeah, on. Go, go. He even rides a motorcycle like like Crosby <laughs> used to. I tell you. They are. They are carbon copies of each other. And I think that's why he gets under Crosby's skin so much. It's like this was you 10 years ago. This was yeah. you house, this was houseboat Crosby. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. This is houseboat Crosby. This was philandering Crosby. This was Crosby pre-Jabar. Yeah. I did. And also the way that Oliver was with Jabbar really reminded me of Crosby and Jabbar in their early days. Like when he's like, all right, bunk beds, like, you know, flashlights under the blankets. I mean, he was genuinely pumped to hang out with yeah. Jabbar, but not like for the responsibility part, but the same way that Crosby was pumped to hang yeah. with Jabbar. It's interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Crosby was so funny, like throwing out the jokes. So Jasmine, I think, you know, your mom and Crosby, <laughs> like, and just, like put that both in and they both just, I, I love that they both agree because I was like, Ooh, is this going to go over well? Is this, is this going to be received well? And then the way she laughed and the way he laughed, I laughed the same way. I thought that was really funny. I think that was my yeah. favorite Crosby moment of the episode. Actually, I did. I, I think I laughed out loud at that. I thought that was great. And it was a good callback to like, Hey, it seems we only do people staying at our house storylines now. <laughs> like, like, it was like kind of calling it out, like putting a hat on it or whatever. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, less funny was Joel and Julia. Good transition. Oh. Oh. In this episode. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Not to jump right to the end, but boy, most bummer note to end an episode on ever. Okay, let's start back at the beginning. Yeah. But I had to throw that out there. Jeez. You guys have seen this coming. I mean, you've been calling this episode <laughs> by episode. It is so nuts that both of us, I think, the first time we watched the series, felt like their troubles sort of came out of left field. That they were a little Agreed. Agreed. I totally resonated with when you guys said that. I felt the same way on my first watch. Yeah. And now knowing it was coming and looking for it, we were like, oh, it's everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. They really can't talk to each other. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like the adult interpretation of it now. I mean, I was an adult when I watched it the first time, but now as a you know person in a relationship and kind of, you know, a pain, like just so identifying with some of the roles that they yeah. had, I wasn't in those roles at that time. So I see it through now a completely different lens. And I'm the same way that you guys have been. I don't know how I missed it. I missed it the first time. I yeah. did feel like it came out of nowhere. And you know, something that's occurring to me right now that I don't know if I would have noticed this time without Melissa noticing it is so many, like we've said over and over, so many of Joel and Julia's conflict resolutions sound like conflict resolutions. And they like, they hit the important words and the tone of voice sounds right. But if you actually listen to what they're saying, they don't resolve anything. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if I was lulled by the tropes of couples making up on tv shows and i'm thinking oh this looks like that they made up yeah instead of really listening 
And I thought, I bet people do that in real life too. Because I think Joel and Julie, if you ask them, do you solve your problems? I think they both would have said, probably more Julia than Joel, yeah, we do. When we have an issue, we deal with it and we get past it. But I think they just think they are and don't even realize they actually like hardly ever resolve anything. I'm thinking of a parallel real quick. I think that might be a little bit like um, Crosby and Jasmine in season two when they're talking to that marriage counselor, the the pastor. And he's like, how do you solve your problems? And, you know, and she's like, we do it very well. And and Crosby's like, I don't know if it's always really well. You know, I <laughs> wonder if Joel's like, do like maybe he's starting to realize that they don't. But maybe not. Maybe I'm not sure if if he is aware because Julia, I think, is totally unaware that they have terrible mm-hmm. communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe she's starting to figure it out, too. Maybe they are both starting to figure it out. <laughs> Something's oh. up. Well, I couldn't remember how the kiss with Ed finally oh. came to light. But here's how it was. I've been pretty unhappy since I left work. And uh, Ed was going through the same thing, so that's basically how we became friends. You were so mad at me when Victor got held back, which I, I understand that didn't go down right. But, you know, Ed and I talked about that too, and that's, you saw all those texts, that's what that was about. We were just, it was so, rough on us. Joel, um... Ed got confused about the nature of our friendship. Clearly because... he kissed me. You know, and I stopped it and he hasn't tried to do it again. I thought you, you said nothing happened. Well, from my side of it, nothing happened, you know, from my... So... For me. Where, where was it, where was this? This was at his house. I had You gone went to o- his house? When? I did, this is a couple weeks ago. I went over there because I started to get the sense that he was misunderstanding. So let me, let me just... Let me get this straight. You, uh, you've been having um, a, a an emotional relationship with with Ed, some sort of emotional affair a with Ed, and then you go over to his house. It, clearly, he's separated from his wife, and you go over, and he kisses you. Yes. And when I ask you about anything happening, I begged you, I begged you to tell me if anything happened, and you said nothing. I said nothing. nothing, because from my Why? point of view, it was nothing, and because I didn't want to unnecessarily Why would you think that that is nothing? For me, on, on, for me to him, it was nothing. I mean, I just put damn, like when I, I, I <laughs> he called it what it was. It's exactly what you guys have been yeah. saying. It's been this entire season, and he called it exactly as he saw it. Oof. Oh, it sucked. So my question, how did the Raquel kiss go down? I can't remember how that went down. Okay, we should like re-watch that scene yeah. at some point. But <laughs> hold on. We can find this. We should just play it. And then I think we should do a compare contrast. Did Raquel hit on you? 
Is that what Crosby said? He didn't have to. I inferred. No, she did not hit on me. She didn't. I swear, Julia. So you're saying I have nothing to worry about. There's nothing to worry about. Yeah. She didn't hit on you. No. She's never hit on you. Joel. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. A couple months ago, she got a little, um... A couple months ago. And I, I shut it down. Totally. And that was it. How could she... How could... You're a father. You, our daughters are best friends. How could you... What, what did you do? Her husband was out of town on work. You were working late. The girls fell asleep. And, uh, I guess she started talking to me about troubles in her marriage and... I listened, and she, she misinterpreted, and... And what? This is way more like than I thought it was. It's crazy. She kissed you. Joel, did she kiss you? She tried. I stopped it. End of story. Oh, she tried. Oh, maybe they didn't actually kiss. Wow. Wow. Oh, here's that American Beauty music. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want things to get weird. I thought I was insane for being jealous of her. You, you let, let me think, think that, that I was insane. insane. Army I remember that. Sydney's best friend, Julia. And you're using our daughter as your excuse yeah. for not telling Yeah, because me. it's the truth. that woman in our lives. Oh, come Julia. Was that too much to ask? <sighs> you take away Raquel, you take away Harmony, and our daughter is left without her best friend. Our daughter's five years old and she will make new friends, right? Come on. What if I was at work every day with a guy who hit on me? What if I was home <laughs> on the sustainability committee with a guy who hit on me? <laughs> Okay. Damn. That's Whoa. way more like than I thought it was. I mean, he Ugh. waited a couple months. I always thought it was a month, yeah. but it sounded like he said a couple months ago. It sounds like he was never going to tell her there's that. She tried. Yeah, that's I was forgetting about, and which makes me forgive the never going to tell her, perhaps. Mm -hmm. if, if they, they didn't, didn't actually kiss. She just like went to kiss him and, and he... Yeah. He, was, he had he better... Does away. that need to be... Huh. divulge I still I think know. so yes yeah and I think more just because they have spent time together it wasn't like out of nowhere that's true and like and she said she's like so now you're giving me some warrant to feel something like whether it's two-sided it's not two-sided but it's one-sided so I should yeah. I, I should still be concerned if you guys are spending this much time together. because something I snagged on in Julia's confession in this episode she still I don't think was a hundred percent honest I would totally agree with that. She yeah. kissed back. She kissed yeah, back. Yeah, because she said Ed got confused about the nature of our friendship, mm -hmm. which that may be true, but I'm like, well... Julia did too. And if Julia, <laughs> yeah. you did too. Yeah. And I was really struck by what she said, just a feeling of this is all too late. You're just too late. This is why you can't tell these little lies along the way. Because things like... You went over to his house? Mm -hmm. but yeah, we saw her go over to his house for dinner one night where 
arguably nothing horrible happened that time, but she lied about it because she felt guilty about it. And she thought, even then, this won't come up. This won't be an issue. But if Joel had known, yeah, sometimes I go over to Ed's house, then it wouldn't feel like such a blindside in this moment. Just her talking about the nature of their friendship right from the get-go. Ed's going through the same thing. And that's why we were friends. If that was not a mystery. Yeah. Tell him that when you start to become friends. Tell them, tell them now. I mean, Raquel was always over at Jewel and Julia's house. Mm -hmm. Julia was constantly coming home and there she is. But I think it makes sense because she was there allegedly because their daughters were best friends and they were playdates. But I mean, that's why Julia and her kids went in the first time because the kids were like, hang out. They are really similar. It's just, I think Joel was more forthcoming about everything except Raquel. I think Julia just ended up crossing a line. There was Joel never liked Raquel. Yeah, there was an innocence to their relationship to a point. Yeah, and it's like, okay, so she had just she almost had this conversation with Adam that she should have had with Joel. Yeah, and it would have been painful and it would have sucked, but she freaking owned up to everything in that conversation. And you know, and and Adam asked a hard question and she answered the hard question and she was honest. But then she downplayed it all to save her ass. And it's like, girlfriend, no, that's that's where it was wrong. And it was even, I think what pissed me off that she went over to his house that day, it wasn't normal. Like that day, Joel was trying, whether it was right or wrong, he was trying that day. He put his family first that day. He came home early that day. They made pizzas that day. And then you still went to go see this guy. That's where you cross the line. To me, that's where it like, yeah. it changed. So then no wonder he's going to kiss you. I mean, no shit, Sherlock. Like, come on, girlfriend. Like, you cannot, your family is at home and you still ditched him for another guy. And it's part of her dishonesty here too. She says, I went to his house because I was concerned that he was misunderstanding. I'm like, well, okay, that is true. But you also went over there because you thought you were the reason his marriage was ending. Yeah. Yes. Like that's a big piece of information that you're not telling Joel. Yes. And why would you think you were part of their marriage ending? Yeah. Because something was happening that you knew shouldn't have been. I feel like the lawyer in her is really coming out in this scene. Yeah. Like maybe the reason she doesn't tell Joel when he's like, is anything happening? Because she has to have time to get her story straight. And then she goes down there with her story in mind when he confronts her after the auction she doesn't know what she'll say i feel Mm -hmm. like she had time to write a script yeah that argument of from my point of view nothing Uh, i i literally wrote down that feels very lawyerly and weaselly yeah it does it was very schmarmy yeah Yeah. and i was thinking maybe try joel in that moment you were so upset and i was afraid that if i told you then you wouldn't have been able to actually take in the information. I was scared of you, which sounds kind of critical of him, but I think that was closer to the truth than what she said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, <laughs> from your point of view, it was nothing. Again, she went over yeah. there because she thought, no. she said he needs to stop texting because it's not fair to Joel. Like, so she knew, mm-hmm. she knew exactly. Yeah. <sighs> and yet I'm glad, I am glad she confessed because. I think that's the right thing to do. And and I do think better late than never. And part of me even felt like maybe there's a rationale for not getting into what degree she reciprocated those feelings just yet. Like, yes, he did kiss me. Yes, he was confused about the nature. That is all technically true. And then maybe later I can tell you how (laughs) I got a little confused too. Mm -hmm. I'm not positive that that's right, but I was like... uh, 
okay, but at least be more honest than you were being, which yes. you did do. I, I don't know. What do we think of it's Joel's really reaction? Bad. Like the way that, I mean, it seemed to me like he was listening when she was explaining why they were friends. It seemed like he was like, okay, that all makes sense. You know, like maybe this was a misunderstanding or something. And then when she said, from the moment she said he got confused about the nature of our friendship, it was over. And it's so interesting that we were able to just pull up, you know, Raquel and Joel from five years ago or whatever, because it made me think, boy, in real life, you can't do that. Like, I'm sure there are hypocrisies and interesting like parallels all the time. And people bring up old fights. You shouldn't, but they do. But you can't like just pull up a transcript like like we just could, you know. And so I wonder to what degree Joel is even thinking about Raquel. Maybe that's totally mm-hmm. gone from his brain because I mean, there were some real parallels to what was said. I agree. Ultimately, it's different because he didn't have feelings for her. I think that's the main mm-hmm. thing. But boy, I mean, he Julia was a lot more understanding. She wanted Raquel out of their lives and Joel acted like that was an overreaction. <laughs> you know, what if what if Joel's answer to Julia was, well, I don't want you to see Ed anymore. She would have been so relieved. She would have been like, done, done. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm like (laughs) trying to cut him out. Instead, he's basically like, we're over. And I I think, again, it makes sense because they're in a bad place now. And I think in season one, they weren't, they were in a Mm -hmm. fine place, you know. Well, and that also, I think, is a byproduct of how not forthcoming she has been about every aspect of her relationship with him. Yeah. And when you leave all that blank space... I think Joel has filled it in mm-hmm. with something worse. Mm-hmm. And yet I don't really blame him because it's like, that's human nature. I don't think, but you know, when you don't tell him that, yeah, I've been over to his house and he's finding out now that you were there long time ago, of course he's going to think, why would you be going? So something's going on and you're still not telling me and you didn't mm-hmm. tell me about this kiss until the, so what else aren't you telling me? It's like, what can I believe? That's why you got to yeah. each step. Just yeah. keep them apprised. It was a gut punch. He looked like he he looked like he was just sucker punched. And yeah. to me, I felt like even though he was ready to listen, the way he looked up from his drawings, he at least looked like with body contact, he was fully present to listen. Yeah. To me, it looked like he was ready for the shoe to fall off. He was waiting for the shoe to fall off. He was just waiting and listening to her talk, just waiting for her to say what he felt was already true. He was waiting for her to say what he felt was true on the playground, you know, at the auction. Yeah. I don't believe you. So it's like, clearly he has this narrative, just like you said, Caleb, he has this narrative in his head and I almost wish he would play it out. Like, so what do you think, what do you think this timeline is, or what do you think is happening here? You know, and then adjusting it and, and, and giving him some peace of mind, like not at all, no way, Jose, like, no, that's not, that's not the way that I'm rolling, but he he just looked like he was ready. Yeah. When, when she first mentioned the kiss, I was thinking if I were Joel, what would be the first thing I would say? And I was thinking, when? That's yeah. what I would yeah. want to know. Because yeah. it's like, is there some, did this happen post the playground? Oh, yeah. In any universe? Oh. Like, were you telling me the truth then and you have since kissed Ed? Even though I don't know how much time has passed, I think not very much. Yeah. And that his one question was where. I was like, right. Oh, that's a little surprising. Yeah. But I would also want to know when, like, well, when, how long have you been keeping this a secret? Yeah. Oh, the other thing I was going to mention that was just too late. I loved in her confession that I feel like she admitted fault in how 
the Victor stuff went down. Yeah, mm-hmm. she did. Not at any great length. An impassive voice, you know, that didn't yeah. go down right. Yeah, <laughs> but. but for Julia to say, I agree, that didn't go down right. It's like, that is a big deal for her to say. And I thought, it's just too late. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything now. If you could have said it right after it happened, if you could have gone to Joel and been vulnerable and said, I was really trying to do what I thought was right. And now I see that I mishandled this and mm-hmm. I'm really sorry. I think it could have gone a long way. But now on the list of headlines that Joel takes away from this conversation, I don't think that's even on it. it no. Or if it is, it's the bottom of the list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. she feels bad about Victor. Who gives a shit? Right. Too little Not to now. Yeah. Not with all that other information. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm just finding uh, it crazy how many parallels I think there are between not just... Raquel, Joel, you know, Ed, Julia, but like communication problems, Amber, Mm -hmm. Ryan, communication problems, Joel, Julia, but like Amber and Ryan are like comparatively kids. And this was like their first adult relationship, I think probably for both of them, definitely for Amber. And I'm like, you two have been married for at least a decade, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but I find that believable. I think probably a lot of people are in long-term relationships where they have never really gotten communication down. And that's really interesting to me because I feel like maybe that's not something that happens a lot on TV because it's it's more, I think, about like affairs or, you know, like just like mm-hmm. big explosive soap opera-y things. And while you could say that the Julia Ed thing is, is the disillusion of this marriage, I think it's the communication thing. Mostly. Yeah, it felt like a symptom of a problem rather yeah. than a problem. Yeah, because she does, I mean, she has an emotional affair, but she doesn't sleep with Ed. No. But Joel just might not even believe that or yeah. even, even. And I think now at this point, she's not even confused about her feelings. I think Ed. she's not even into it. I think Ed. now she's like, no, I never really liked. I mean, I liked. The attention? Uh, I had, yeah, I had the, the attention. I liked someone who could relate to being out of work. But was she ever in love with Ed? I no. don't think so. No. And I think you guys said it on the nose a couple of podcasts ago. This is just the first time they've had to deal with something hard. They really, I mean, in being married a decade, you know, how many times are you dealing with something like this right out the gate? I mean, there's a reason why they say the honeymoon phase is over, you know, in whatever relationship you're in or friendship you're in or whatever. So it's like, man, when the going's getting tough, you're not responding well. You're not responding in a way that can keep a couple together at this rate. Yeah. You know, so it's just, it was that combination of, you never had to deal with this when you were home, Joel. We never had to deal with this as a family or as a couple with just Sydney. And then now the roles are reversed and it's just, man, they're just itching away. It's just like a scab that just keeps on building and keeps mm-hmm. on building. And it's just been awful. It's just been awful to watch the demise. Yeah. yeah. And I thought it was great to see, well, not great. Great television. <laughs> <It was> horrible. <laughs> um, great television to see Joel at work getting distracted and frazzled by what's going on in his life. And, you know, for the first time ever, I actually liked Pete in this episode in the scene where, you know, Joel was trying to remember numbers of how many square feet to be losing. How does this change the budget? I thought her taking the fall for him. She was so smooth. Yeah. I'm like, that's the move of a true friend. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's the move of a boss who's trying Mm -hmm. to cover but in, in that moment, I thought, good, Pete. Good for you. What did you think of their next scene? Hey, what was that? I'm sorry. That wasn't I'm even so a hard sorry. question. That was a basic one. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the report right now. Joe, mm-hmm. I've put a ton of faith in you. You nearly screwed this up. That is the prototype. He doesn't like it. We have big problems. Yes. 
Yes, I know. I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I haven't been sleeping well lately, and uh, my, uh, my marriage. Uh, right. I hate to say it, but I don't care. I don't care about your personal problems, Joel. I don't. This is your job, and it's a big one. So get it together, okay? I think it's spoken exactly how her character is supposed to be. I mean, as a boss, that's exactly what she needs to say. Like, you keep yeah. your shit separate, and if you can't, don't work here. Yeah. So I think she was doing what she needs to do as a boss, and it just sucks because he's not that hardcore. Like, he's not a hard ass like that. You're so you right. can tell he's, like, crumbling a little bit. But I felt like her her role in that was fair. You know, I didn't think of this at the time, but only now am I thinking it's a really interesting scene, just storyline-wise, because I think at the beginning of the season, it was sort of presented like, trouble for the marriage. Here's Ed mm -hmm. and here's Pete. And it was almost like a parallel, like they were both going to be tempted. And I think this scene is where you see, no... I don't think Pete yeah. has feelings for Joel. Mm -hmm. I think that she's, you know, like as much as I was like, ugh, I, I continue to not really like her, <laughs> but I understood where she was coming from. She was mm -hmm. harsh, but I was also like, I don't think she's like harboring a secret crush because her response mm -hmm. to Joel saying problems in my marriage wasn't like Ed being like, well, oh no, tell me more. Can I help? Let me stroke your right. arm. It your was, problems can be solved by my parents. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, yeah, it was like, get it together. I don't care. And I'm like, okay, I, yeah. at least we see. You know, it's really interesting. Like, yeah, I think that Joel, for all his faults, at least this season, is not crossing the same line that Julia is crossing. Like, it, and right. yeah, even if they toss in a beautiful, just, you know, woman, I think it's a red herring. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I totally overthought this scene because I thought, Wow, I judged Pete less for saying this than I think I would have if a man had said it. Mm. Like, let's say it was Julia at work and a man said, I don't care about your marital problems. Yeah. And I was like, I think it's because I assume, rightly or wrongly, that Pete has probably had to deal with a lot of work-life balance stuff and bosses' scrutiny of it or, or co-workers' scrutiny of it more than a man would to be in the position that she's in, which is mm. the head of this entire project. And it feels like coming from her, it's like, well, if I can manage it, you sure as hell can manage it. But then I'm like, wait, maybe that's really sexist of me in its <laughs> own way, because especially considering that we know Pete has never been married. Or in the traditional children. sense. Oh, and right. I'm just assuming <laughs> yeah. that she has has this work life balance thing. I'm like, well, but she's probably never had a work life balance issue comparable to Joel's. Yeah. who has huh. multiple children and has been married for 10 years. Like, so <laughs> So then I was like, yeah, I don't know what to believe. I but don't think I, you I were being you. sexist, it was, first of all, but at all. I agree with but. you. It was, it was harsh, but I was like, you know, your boss, it's nice to be compassionate, sure, but that's not their job. Yeah. And like, you need to leave your problems at the door when you show up for work. It for sure is interesting the way that the Julia Joel thing has flipped almost everything, uh, mm -hmm. just gender norms wise. Like, I will say it's at least interesting to hear a woman boss say, mm -hmm. I, I don't care because I would expect that more from a male boss. And I think if like a male boss said that to me, I would probably cry, which is a very female, you know, typical yeah. response, you know, like it just, it's endless. Like how fascinating that is to me. Cause I don't think any boss should be without compassion, but I don't know. Yeah. I, like, and even Pete there, she's aware of how it sounds. She says, you know, I don't mean to, yeah. Yeah. to say, but I don't care. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Because because she's got to answer to her boss. Yeah. You know, and but I'm glad you mentioned that like 
that you would cry, Melissa, because I one thing I really did like about that scene, again, not because it was happy, but just the I'm assuming the director's choice to linger on that shot of Joel mm. alone in that sterile <sighs> office, Miserable. just kind of yeah. staring straight forward. My heart really went out to him because mm-hmm. I thought your relationship with Julia is crumbling. And now here you are at work at a job that's so important to you and you have so much invested in. And that's kind of crumbling, too. And it's just like nothing's going right Mm -hmm. in this guy's life. And now I'm connecting it to what comes at the end of the episode. It's like, why was he distracted at work? Because of Julia. Yeah. And it's like, if she's going to cost you your home life and your work life, if that's how he feels, then I kind of understand this reaction a little more. Hey, Joel, I want to talk to you about something. I was thinking that we should try and see a marriage counselor. So I called around today, and a couple of them can take us this week. No. No, this week doesn't work for you, or... No, I don't want to see a marriage counselor because... The marriage is not the problem. The problem is you. Joel, I don't... I don't know what you're trying... This is why I didn't want to tell you about Ed. You didn't want to tell me about Ed. Because you're making it a bigger deal than it is. It's It's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. It's not even just Ed. It's like ever since you left your job. I I don't even know. I I don't even know who you are. I've been wandering around this house for the past couple of days trying to figure out why I'm... I'm here, why I'm doing this, and I just think it's because of those two. I am so... Joel, don't you think somebody can help us? You want to fix it, and I don't think... I don't think it can be fixed. to include the music. But that's like The award for most jarring end yeah. credits music goes to. I am now realizing that it is not the most upsetting ending, I don't think, because I think probably worse was when Amber was in the car accident at the end of oh. season two. And they but is changed. But they had the somber they music? They had the somber music. But it seemed very It was cheerful. nuts. Yeah, and I think I think that's maybe why I was like, because she's like, oh. like it ends with her like Darth Vader like like yeah. breathing, uh-huh. and then it's the happy music. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay. Anyway, what did you think about Joel being like, nope, no marriage counselor. This is just done. Oh, it was just hard. I just felt like the way like I feel like Julia wasn't coming from a place of being wrong. Like she just wanted to come in and just like fix things up. And it's like, whoa, like you got to give this time to marinate. Like, and I felt like she didn't do that. Like, I feel like she should have come in like Amber does. Mm-hmm. Joel, where is your head at? Can we just like, where is your head at? Like, where are you at? What can I do? Like, sh- there was none of that, like collaboration. It was just, okay, I've called these people. They can get us in. What, what, when can you make it work? And it's like, do you even know if that's what he wants? And so it just felt like she regressed a little bit. Like, I felt like she was so vulnerable when she told him everything she was feeling. And I feel like she needed to say those things. But then in that interaction, she regressed. She became the Julia of the earlier seasons. I'm in charge. I'm going to decide what happens. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And it's like, whoa, you are not in that position. Like you have no place to come from that place. 
And that was just, it was the first time where I took a step back with Julia. I mean, I was really kind of feeling for her and her emotions. I mean, I don't agree with her decisions, some of her decisions that she's made. But in that moment, I was like, oh, you don't have the place to come from this. And not that she should feel like this shame, the scarlet letter. It's not like wearing that, but it's just, you got to be a little more aware. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Like read the room. Like the room is not ready for that. Like the room is still dealing with feeling what they heard the other night. So I just felt like she was not aware of that situation at all. Yeah. I think that's been the main problem this whole time. I think she's had this narrative in her head of Joel has abandoned me. I'm like my mom who's abandoned by my dad and just not seeing the situation clearly at all because as we've discussed, she's much more like Zeke, you know, and and it's just really interesting that you're right, Manel. She had like this moment earlier in the episode where she did express some contrition, but yeah, now she's right back to being like, well, we need to fix it. And like, I think it would be better even if she said the way she was like, Joel, don't you think someone could help us? Mm-hmm. My heart broke for her when she said mm-hmm. that. I'm like, what if you started with that instead of I've already called all these places? Like, right. Like his whole issue is you keep making these decisions without me. <laughs> like, can they make the decision to see a counselor together? Can they look up places together? I, I think she has good intentions there coming prepared, but I think it might be reminiscent of the whole problem, which is her just sort of taking over and leaving him out of it. Yeah. I don't know. Caleb, what did you think? This reminded me a little bit of my own parents because at the end of their marriage, one of them wanted to go to counseling and one did not. Wow. And I tend to think that someone saying, I don't think this can be fixed actually means I don't want to fix it. Mm. I mean, what do I know? But I tend to feel like if you want it to be fixed, you can fix probably mm-hmm. anything. But if you don't. Also, I think, you know, my parents were married for 33 years. I'm much more likely to buy into a we're past fixing it argument when it's been 33 years than 10 mm-hmm. or whatever it is mm-hmm. they have. Like, no, Joel, you just don't want to. Mm-hmm. That's the issue. Don't say it can't be fixed. Mm -hmm. Say, I don't want to fix it. Or I'm not willing to put in the work. Whatever. So I didn't love that move on Joel's part. And yet, you know, if you don't want to go to a counselor, you can't be forced to go. And with the way we've been analyzing this so closely, I didn't think the problem, him saying the problem is you, Mm -hmm. was as harsh as I probably would have Mm. in other watches. Mm -hmm. Although I'm sure to her... Yeah, it was pretty brutal. harsh. Yeah. But I see why he would say that mm-hmm. this time in a way that I, I don't think I would. And also, I think if she's truly eager to go to a counselor and work on their issues and Joel won't go with her, she should still go. Mm. She should go and see someone on her own. A huge part of Ed's appeal was just someone she could talk to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can pay people to do that who can really help you. And odds are that could only make her marriage stronger. And then especially if she goes to her husband wanting to go to counseling, he says, no, because the problem is you. It might even be a sign of good faith from her to Joel. Like, you know what? I heard what you said. You said I was the problem and I agree that I have work I need to do. So I'm doing it. Such a good point, Caleb. Now what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know that Julia has the humility to do something Mm -hmm. like that, which is a shame. Yeah. Because I did feel for her. I mean, it it can't feel good to go to your partner and say, let's work on this and have them go, nope, not interested. Right. Yeah. I think Joel has that humility, but he wasn't given the space to feel it. 
Right. Like it was all, it almost mimicked like Amber and Ryan's conversation. Amber wasn't ready to have that conversation, but she knew the time was ticking. And I feel like if Joel had the space, he could have heard what she was saying a little bit better. It may not have changed his outcome, but I feel like so much of where he was coming from, he was so angry. And so a lot of what he was saying was directed out of anger. It may be how he really feels, but it may not be how he really feels, but we have no idea how he really feels because he was never given that space to process it. And so I, I feel like he would have had humility as well if he had just been given the space to. And I think that's just another testament to Julia. She never gives that. She just says, this is when you're going to feel this. And this is how you're going to feel this way. And this is, you know, everything yeah. is on schedule. And she never gives that time. I think that is a recurring theme in their relationship as well. Yeah. I, I know that like season two, it was just one episode, but it was really foreshadowing. It was when he had a job and she also had a job and they were trying to figure it out. And they were fighting and they were late to work. And she was like, we need to figure this out now. And then he kind of exploded at her and was like, all right, you don't want me to work ever. And mm-hmm. they they would not have had that, that fight if she hadn't pressed it like, we have to do it now. I think that's a Braverman trait. They're bad at like giving yeah. people space and time. You know, it's like going all the way back to Adam in season one, telling Hattie she had to go to the walkathon or whatever, even though Amber had just left with Steve. It was like, let it simmer. God, like just give it a little time. time. You know, which I'm now realizing Adam had the same attitude to Hattie that Zeke had to Amber in this episode. Yeah. (laughs) We're not always going to be here. Someday we'll be gone and we'll regret the things we said to each other. And the thing is, I don't even disagree with that argument. I think it's a wonderful argument, but Timeline people like people have got to operate on their own timeline. Right. I even think it's okay, especially from a an adult to a child, to nudge, but it can't be more than a nudge. You can't force them. Ah, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I actually think terrible relationship advice is never go to bed angry because, like, sometimes you know, I think I've said this before. Like, sometimes the best time to talk is after you have slept. <laughs> like, you know, like what if you're just like, yeah. What if Julia just sort of like read the room and waited for Joel to approach her? She approached him last time. I didn't even think about this until this conversation just now, but like, what if instead of being in a big hurry to fix it immediately, you recognize this is a big deal, mm-hmm. you know? Cause even when she says, this is why I didn't want to tell you about Ed. It's like blaming him. Like, cause I knew you would be crazy or whatever. And when Joel's like, it's a pretty big deal. It's a big deal. He has to keep reiterating that it's a big deal to him. It, it minimize. She just keeps minimizing how he feels. I can see why in that moment he's like, this can't be fixed, which you're right, Caleb, that is code for, I don't want to. Yeah. So that's how far this has now come. He doesn't want to fix his marriage. And I also agree with you that that pretty much means it's over, I think, Mm. because if somebody wants out, then they want out. And then it, that it really is too late. I, I it, like, you can't fix something if both people don't want to fix it. That's just heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. And I, I'm really obsessed with this idea of Julia going <laughs> to see someone. She yeah. probably should. Cause you know, she said in, in her confession to Joel, you know, I've been pretty unhappy since I left work. I'm like, I do know that go get some help with how to deal with it. Like Julia's problems are not, purely Joel related. Yeah. There are other things going on that I think she could benefit from. And just imagine if that scene was not so I looked up some marriage counselors. (laughs) But if it was I've been seeing a therapist for the last few weeks or months or whatever. 
And they think it might be helpful to have you join us sometime if you ever feel up to that. Like that to me is just such a different invitation conversation than I signed us up for this thing without checking with you. When can you go? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, I think the thing maybe I feel worst about for Julia, it's a sympathetic take on, on Julia is that maybe her biggest mistake was trusting the wrong person when she was unhappy. Like, the whole reason she was confiding in Ed is she was unhappy. And like, I do think Ed took advantage of that. I don't think that means Julia's blameless, but I, I do think like in a small sense, he's kind of a predator's a really big word. I do realize that, but I think like not predator the way everyone thinks of it, but like an opportunist, you know, mm-hmm. like taking advantage of, of this. And I, I think it's too bad that she didn't find a real friend because she really could have used one. <laughs> So back to the Bravermans, being friends with people other than Bravermans. Yeah. And real friends. Real (laughs) friends, people. You need it. Like Gwen. (laughs) Like, like, (laughs) you know, not someone who wants to sleep with you. Yes. Unless Gwen wants to sleep with Christina. I don't think that she does. Um, (laughs) uh, Anyway, well, we really attacked the hell out of that one. I felt. It was rough. Yeah. Well, let's discuss Max. Yeah. Max has lost his last friend. I... I wanted to talk with you about you and Micah. Why? No, because Micah's your best friend. No, Hank is. All right, well, Hank's an adult, so. So? That's not relevant. It it is relevant. It's important for you to have friendships with people who are your own age. And I know that you and Micah were really good friends and something happened. Did he do something? Did, Did you maybe say something that upset him? Can you remember? Maybe it's because he was suddenly obsessed with basketball and I told him basketball is stupid. Okay, that could be. He can't even play basketball. He's in a wheelchair. You didn't say that, did you? Yeah. And then it was even more stupid because he said he could play wheelchair basketball, which I told him was stupid because it's not real basketball. Okay. I think that may have hurt Micah's feelings. So I think you should apologize to him. And I got an idea. Why don't I get some tickets to a Golden State Warriors game and you can invite him to go with us? What do you say? I don't want to go to the Golden State Warriors. Max, this is important. This is They're not even Warriors anyway. They're basketball players. Warriors fighting the Warriors. These guys just play basketball. It doesn't make any sense. For Micah and for me, I want you to tell him you're sorry for saying those things and invite him to come to the basketball game. Can you do that? Fine. Great. This episode to me was one of the clearest demonstrations of Max's struggles I thought that I'd seen. Because something that I'm aware of how this is going to sound, but I I sort of agreed with Max's opinion of wheelchair basketball. (laughs) Like maybe a less harsh way to frame it is I understand his point. But I very clearly also understand that I would never say that to someone who used a wheelchair, much less a friend. Yeah. Like, I get that. I mean, Max is just saying, well, here's what I think of as basketball. Yeah. And it's people running around and you can't do that because you're in a wheelchair. And yeah, you can wheel around with a ball, but that's not basketball. Like, I I get that. I get why you're thinking that. 
But Max is not understanding just how extremely hurtful that is to his friend. And if you don't understand that, Mm -hmm. it would be very, very hard to navigate a lot of social situations. Yeah, it just was very stark to me in this episode. Oh, that's the missing piece. Mm -hmm. I was actually looking up Friday Night Lights, a little minor spoiler for Friday Night Lights. But I know that in season one, a big storyline is wheelchair rugby. And now I'm wondering if this is something Jason Cadabs is like sort of interested in, you know, like, like I just, that was like a a thing because I think that Jason Street might've been skeptical of it at first and then was like, oh, this is actually amazing. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe the, the friends that Micah has seem very evolved to be like including him. (laughs) You know, I think that's kind of. That was something I thought was really cool to see is that Micah was playing with players not in wheelchairs. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is different than what I was picturing, which was like a Jason Street, like everyone, like a league of people who use wheelchairs. So I was like, hats off to those friends. Yeah. yeah. For being so inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Max just walking right through their game. I know. Right through it. Oh, right through or just it. another oh. thing he's not. He just does not get realizing. it. Yeah. I kind of thought, um, I felt like when Gabby was here, she did a really good job of talking him through something like that. Like, can you, can you understand why this could hurt Micah's feelings and kind of giving scenarios to kind of break it down. And I felt like that piece was missing when Adam talked to Max. Like, I felt like he just went, Okay, well, you just got to apologize. And it's like, but he doesn't even know what he's apologizing for. I thought that too. Recite, he's just going to recite what you tell him. And, that, and it's exactly what he said. Did you tell him about the hot dogs? Did you tell him about the good seats? Yep, said it all. And, you know, he still didn't forgive me. So I feel like that piece was just missing because they do such a good job of, you know, trying to talk him through his wrong. But I felt like in that one, it was just they missed the boat a little bit. Like they didn't break it down. Like, do you know why this could hurt his feelings? Do you know, imagine if someone said this about your lizards. Imagine if someone said this about your, you know, whatever, something, your photography, you know, something yeah. you're super passionate about. That's kind of a little bit of how I felt. And even though he still can't quite get it, I just felt like those conversations in earlier seasons got him there. This one didn't. Yeah. yeah. I so agree with you. And I that might be why when he apologized to Micah, I suddenly in that scene was wondering if the offer of going to the basketball game was not a thoughtful gesture, but just bribery. Because suddenly I was like, is this even a nice thing? Yeah. Because it's sort of like, well, you should apologize to me because my dad bought tickets and we're going to get hot dogs and nachos. No, that's not why you should accept the apology. You should accept the apology if a sincere apology is given to you and the hurt is acknowledged There were missing pieces. Absolutely. I felt like at the end of last episode, when he apologizes to Hank, even though it's scripted, I think he meant that. I agree. And I think he doesn't necessarily mean it with Micah. I agree. And that's interesting. Yeah. And then I wonder why. And I also kept wondering who we were supposed to be sympathetic towards, Micah Mm. or Max, because I have to admit, I was... I think more sympathetic towards Micah. I was like, what a cruel thing to say. Mm -hmm. But then I did feel bad. I'm like, so does Max never get friends because he doesn't know? But Manal, you're absolutely right. That's why he needs someone like Gabby because he has to sort of be taught empathy. It doesn't come naturally Mm -hmm. to him. But I realized, boy, that's one of the things I value most in in a friend. It would be really hard for me to stay friends with someone who said something that insensitive to me. 
and and then I and I actually think for the most part Adam and Christina did a really good job in this episode like I agree yeah like wondering like should we call like wanting to call his parents and yes. then recognizing we can't <laughs> which in the yeah. past they would have just done it I'm like this absolutely. is absolutely yeah yeah season yeah. five Christina continues to have my heart yeah because for once she was the voice of reason with Max yeah. it is not Micah's obligation to be friends with Max yeah. And it would be really unfair for a bunch of adults to pressure him into yeah. making nice with another kid who said such hurtful things to him. Because mm-hmm. it's not like, I'm sure Micah's school experience is not a jolly picnic either. Right. And yet, in that last scene, when Adam expresses himself to Christina, you can't help but sympathize. Yeah. I mean, my mm-hmm. heart's not made of stone. Right. Like I've said yeah. before, I think I think one of the hardest things about being a parent must be watching your kid's feelings get hurt. But I don't know. I think you can't be blinded by that. And to say our son has lost his one friend, well, that is tough. Yeah. But why? Why did he lose his one friend? Yeah. And how can you help him keep friends in the future? It's it's not just a problem to be solved. It's a it's a pattern of behaviors to change. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like with Hank, you know, I kept acting like I didn't know that this storyline was going to come up with Hank where he begins to wonder if he's on the spectrum. And so I was taking his behavior at face value and a lot of his behavior is shitty. (laughs) And I have to say. And so then when you have the context of, oh no, on the spectrum, well then I felt pretty insensitive, you know, even though it's weird. It's not like this was my first watch. I did know, but I was pretending I didn't. It was very complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, But like... I've known the whole time with Max and it wasn't a spoiler to know because it's revealed immediately on, on this show. And so I keep cutting him more slack. I feel maybe like a jerk even using that phrase, but like I, well, at least I just keep that in mind with his behavior, but it's never okay to say those things to somebody who's in a wheelchair. My God, like it's never okay. But I do hate, yeah, it's just, it's a really good storyline. I agree with you, Caleb, because it's like, oh, he deserves to have friends. Everyone deserves to have love in their lives. But if you say those kinds of things to your only friend, it's a toxic friendship if he doesn't leave you. (laughs) Like it's, Yeah. yeah. And so what do you do with that? He can't just say whatever he wants and be like, oh, you know, I, I have Asperger's. And mm-hmm. Hank, if you know, he'll have real work to do. If, 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 so anyway, those are my thoughts. Well, and like you said, Manal, about why doesn't someone walk him through? Like, how do you think Micah might feel about that? I suddenly was thinking of earlier in this season when Max gets booted off yearbook because he takes the picture of the crying girl and doesn't understand why she was so upset about that. Thinking about this now, like, isn't there a parallel there? Like Max, Mm -hmm. how did you like it when you got taken off this job you really liked because of something that you don't, isn't necessarily completely within your control and equate that maybe with, you know, Micah can't play basketball, the quote unquote real basketball that you're thinking of. How do you think that makes him feel? Yeah. And then for you to crap all over the kind of basketball that he does play and that he finds a lot of joy in. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, it just seems like I I so agree. There was a lot more. And I know they only have so many minutes in an episode, but they left over that 
So there was this big crucial piece missing, I think. That's why Max doesn't even, I don't think he even understands what he the doesn't. problem was, even at the end of the episode. Yeah. And he doesn't acknowledge it as a loss. Like he just moves on. He's like, well, I've got Hank or, you know, just yeah. kind of moves on. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I felt like Micah's friends were inclusive, but then I felt like they kind of were ganging up against Max. Yeah. And I felt like Micah went along with it, but didn't want to. Like you could see, I felt like you saw some guilt in his face a little bit. Like when he just, they kind of zoomed in on him in the wheelchair as Max was walking off, you could tell he didn't want to be a mean friend, but he kind of had a right to be a mean friend. Cause it's like, you were mean to me and you made me feel yeah. really crappy. You could tell it was like this turmoil of that age group. Oh, like, how am I supposed to be, you know, like, I don't want to follow this group, but I don't want to be you. And I don't want to, oh, it was just like, oh, I just felt like I just watched middle school, like <laughs> in that interaction. I was just like, I just felt like I saw all the nuances and all the yucky and all the ups and downs, just blah. That's how I felt after seeing the movie Eighth Grade. I was like, oh, that was time travel. (laughs) (laughs) Not great time. Great movie. But wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a a hard. Yeah. I did love seeing Adam and Christina accepting the consequences again and taking Max to the game themselves. It's like, yeah, lemons out of lemonade. Yeah. You guys can have fun on your own and. Now I understand that Max is going to need friends at some point. He can't just hang out with his mom and dad the rest of his life. And Hank, just adults. <laughs> and Hank. But it's like, you know, one thing at a time. And it's that recurring theme on our podcast of like, the, your current feeling will not be your feeling forever. Yeah. Yeah. Just because Max lost his one friend now doesn't mean he has lost all opportunities to have friends ever again. Or maybe it does because he's a Braverman. He'll just get married and have kids <laughs> and never have any friends. Touche. Yeah, I feel like it was just a testament to their unconditional love. Like it was yeah. just a really sweet moment. It was just and I feel like we see this maybe just in education. Like at the end of the day, you're working with someone's world. Yeah. Whether they annoy yeah. you, whether they do the right <laughs> thing, whether they make poor decisions, at the end of the day, there's somebody else's world. That's and so true. I think for Adam Casina, this is still their world. And they yeah. just did the best. Yeah, it was just like, it was just, I just remember, I just, I quit. It was just so adorable. It was just a really sweet moment. And just even him getting excited, like the way he embraced it, yeah. like yelled. I'm like, ah, oh, that's a big deal for him. It is. And I loved how dorky Adam and Christina <laughs> were. So and they were like embracing it, you know, like they knew they were sort of embarrassing him, but yeah. like that it was going to win him over. It was a very cute dynamic. Yeah. Loved it. I did too. Well, last but not least, Hank and Sarah are up for the same job in this episode. Sarah gets it. Hank doesn't. And he takes it really well. I'm (laughs) kidding, of course. How'd you get that interview? (laughs) What is wrong with you? I'm just asking. Can I come in? I'm going to come in. Yes. What about the phone? Just call me. I'm just wondering how... You know, I heard you say, uh, good to see you again. Well, how, when tell. did you see that guy? I could tell that you were upset when we were I'm, there. I'm not upset. I'm a, I'm a friend. I'm a friend. I'm a photographer, mm-hmm. fellow photographer, wondering how you got uh, in that <laughs> loop. I was referred by a friend. But what friend knew him? Who? Why I, do I don't you get care? It. Why does it I matter? Mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm just wondering uh, how, how you are in the same circle. That's all. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm happy for you. I just don't know how you got in there. Carl, who you met the other night, was my friend who... Tux guy? Mr. Tux? Mr. Tux. Really? Okay. All right. Now I get it. Oh, do you? What? <laughs> Come on. All right. Come on what? I'm not going out with Carl. So, you, so you're qualified for that job then? I think I am, yeah. What kind of lens do you use for a sunset? You don't have to... I don't have to pass your little tests, okay? What why lens are you going to use? What kind of lens are you going to use? Hank, why don't... I you think know, it's... I, 
Time for you to maybe go. You better be careful, all right? Careful with your what game you show host me? neighbor, all right? He's not a game show host. He's yeah. a doctor, if you must know. Yeah, I know what kind of doctor he is. Bye. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even understand that last joke, but no. it I makes me laugh anyway. Such a yeah. Romano ad lib, right? I know what kind of doctor he is. I also did laugh out loud at game show host. I'm like, he does sort yeah. of have game <laughs> show host energy. Yeah. I thought this was a great conflict because it made me personally think of all kinds of conflicting things. Like on the one hand, it is unfair that the person was with less experience would get the job. But then on the other hand, this happens constantly all the time. And it's usually men who get more privileged than women in, in these sorts of situations. I thought all the way back to like season one where Sarah has that job interview and she has the same level of charm and they really like her, but she doesn't get the job because she doesn't have enough experience. And at a certain point, a woman of a certain age is never going to get the experience if she keeps just not getting the experience. Like if she can't get her foot in the door, then she'll never have it. And Hank has boatloads of experience. And so he probably gets jobs she won't get. And yeah, okay, so this was unfair in a way, but there are situations where most people, at least most white middle-class people, get something that someone else doesn't get and it's it's not fair. What's really unfair, if you look at it, is like systemic racism and systemic, mm-hmm. like when you really want to dig in, it's the people who absolutely never get a shot and Hank does not belong to that group. So I thought Hank was often being really petty. Okay, those were my thoughts. What do you guys think? <laughs> this is the first time where I'm like, everything you guys have ever shared about how you felt about him, about Hank, is how I felt in this episode. He just pissed me off. He pissed me off. He was demeaning and he was belittling. And it's like, I was so proud of Sarah. If this had been a Sarah of a different season, she wouldn't have been able to like combat him. She would have never been able to like stand proud and and stand up for herself. So I'm so proud of her in this episode for just saying, okay, you can stop now. Okay, you can Mm -hmm. leave now. Okay, that's not appropriate. I don't have to pass your little test. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, you are a piece of shit. And I'm like, I don't know if it's like all of a sudden it's because you're starting to process all this stuff about the Asperger's book and you're making all these connections, but it's like, you're, you're misplacing your energy. Like this is not energy that Sarah should be receiving. And then I kind of thought, shouldn't you be proud? I mean, you taught Sarah the craft. Yeah. Be proud. And yes, yeah. maybe it's all about who she knows. Sure. But she's not doing it the wrong way. She's not like only having sex with this guy so that she can get this opportunity. Right. It truly, she is like pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away. And he saw some value in her work and was able to share that with someone that he knew. And so this is the one episode where I was like, Hank, screw you. Like, that is so rude. And then to just constantly like, okay, you got to tell me how you got that. Okay, so what are you doing here? And it was just like, who are you? Like, you are not the end-all be-all. So buzz off, dude. I Oh, he just pissed me off so bad. <sighs> me too. Yeah. And I found this conflict really fascinating because I'm in a line of work that is largely dependent on networking Mm -hmm. and and who you know and i think networking gets honestly a pretty bad rap and sometimes it's warranted because yes sometimes people get opportunities that i think they're not deserving of but i also think that is a line that everyone is going to draw differently about at what level is it well you don't have enough experience I think almost never does someone get a job that they can't do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if you can do the job, then didn't you meet the requirements? Anyway, but I, on the whole, I think networking is a legitimate way to earn opportunities. 
because you don't hire someone strictly on how well they can satisfy the needs of the job. You hire them for all sorts of reasons, not the least of which is if you're going to have to interact with them, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure that you're going to jibe personality wise. And that is why someone feels more confident hiring even a friend of a friend who they may have never met. But it's like, well, if my friend who I know and trusts says they get along really well with this person and I know that they are good enough to do the job requirements then I'm going to feel better about that than someone who I don't know at all, have never met, don't know anyone who knows them, or in Hank's case, someone who shows up to the interview and is kind of gruff and a jerk. Yeah. And even if their work is better, it's like, you know what? This is not worth it. It's going to be completed to my satisfaction and I'm going to enjoy the process. I'm like, that's why you hire someone. So I, I don't think this stuff exists in a vacuum. And yet... I do have compassion for Hank because yeah. I get jealous. The, the example I always use is my friend Stephen Malone, who was on the podcast last season, who's just gregarious, so easy to talk to. He can talk to anybody and he can do it instantly. A total stranger. And he's just off and running. That did happen with me. <laughs> and it's genuine. Oh, and yeah. It's genuine. It's yeah. not him. He's not a schmoozer. He's just really good at meeting people and talking to people. And he puts them at ease and he's really great at it. And I'm jealous of him constantly. Wow. And I'm not terrible. You're great at, at it. I mean, I that, know you very well. But I'm not as good as he is. And so I'll get jealous about that. And, and then opportunities he gets because people meet him and like him and go, oh, I didn't make the same kind of impression. Or people who are really, really good looking who end up getting jobs that I want. And I'm like, wow, I wonder why they got that job. And that's those are hard feelings to deal with. And then especially if if you're Hank and you're beginning to wonder, is this a medical thing? Is this a psychological thing Mm. that it's making me hard to connect with people and Sarah's just a natural at it how can I compete I get it I that would be really tough but he was still really rude yeah (laughs) and he was still out of line and she doesn't have to tell you what lens she's gonna use and Uh, it's like you know that's something you gotta deal with Hank because you're going to, I mean, he's built a successful career. It's not like he's not going to have any opportunities. Yeah. And maybe the way to deal with it, like he did, was hire someone who's really good at that. Figure out mm-hmm. where your weaknesses are and supplement your business with someone who's really good at the things you're not great at. Yeah. That's a great way to deal with that. Yeah. Then don't maybe kiss them in the dark room. Right. Shoot, scare them away. All <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know? well, they're Ruin their yes. marriage yeah. And, yeah. and make them have to move back home. See, I'm feeling a lot better about my initial anger about Hank. Um, yes. Earlier, Caleb, you were talking about how it's not always just talent alone that gets somebody a job. And I thought that's a direct parallel to earlier when Max thought it was unfair that he got moved to layout because he was the best photographer. And I was like, I bet at the high school level, it is not the most important thing who the absolute best photographer is. It's who's not going to take pictures of a girl who's crying in the hall and not understand why that's a problem. Who's not gonna just walk directly onto the court during a game is someone who has to understand how these things work. Now, I agree that they could have worked with him on that given his circumstances, but I I did think that Max was mistaken in thinking talent alone was the only important thing. And here's like a real world 
example of that out of high school where Hank is also maybe having to learn that same lesson because Hank didn't understand it either. He kept saying, yeah, Max, you're the best photographer. You should absolutely, yeah. you know, keep, stay in photography. What's he going to learn in layout Photoshop? But like humility, we've been talking about it this, this episode. It's an important thing for just about everyone. And Hank didn't have any of that. And, and, no. and, and yeah. yeah, he understands his value, but he's mistaken if he thinks that's the only thing that matters and I think it was just a really hard pill for him to swallow to be like oh yeah Sarah does have these qualities that's gonna yeah anyway and let's contrast Hank's reaction with Carl's I got the job you got the job yeah congrats it's amazing it's a little too amazing how's that possible I uh, did you have anything to do with this are you the reason I got it I'm definitely not the reason you got it, but I don't think it hurt. I mean, Alex's a friend. This is great. I was up against some really amazing photographers. Even better. It just feels like I don't deserve it. Hey, don't, no. Don't talk about deserving it, right? You went in, you won the job. Now you're going to go kill it. What if I don't do a good job? Well, then you'll never work again, and it'll look bad for me. <laughs> hey, you know what? Don't second guess this. You can do it. Perfect. That's the most I've liked Carl. Like, Same. Me too. Yeah. Same. I did not think he was just trying to like sleep with her or anything. No. I actually thought he was giving her really good advice. As Agreed. probably Carl, who has all the advantages Hank has, but also he's charming like, yeah. and, and knows this stuff. He probably gets all kinds of crap. <laughs> you know, he's probably had some help along the way. And I think he gets it. Like, and I think, you know, when he said... I'm definitely not the reason you got it, but I'm sure it didn't hurt. I really yeah. appreciated the honesty of that answer. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. that's true. And he's not making her think like I could see some douchebag guy being like, yeah, I got you that job. Aren't you grateful? What are you going right. to do for me? Like it was right. totally not that it was believing yourself. Yeah. I, I was like, Carl nailed it. And Hank really did not. Yeah. <laughs> and I also think I'm going to bring up Alan Menken again. When you get those kinds of opportunities, if you can't then deliver, then no amount of networking or schmoozing or anything right. is going to save you. I remember when I heard that there was a stage version of Hunchback of Notre Dame in the works, I wrote to the music director of it, who I had never met, didn't know, and pitched myself to play this workshop. And I mentioned in there that I had received a scholarship from Alan Menken in college which I had, and I almost didn't put it in because I thought if I say that I know Alan and then someone goes to him and he doesn't remember me, which was very possible, I'm like, that's going to look horrible. Mm -hmm. But I left it in and I got that job. I got an interview with the music director and I had to play for them and they hired me for this two-week lab. I played that and then they hired me for the show. And I found out once I got the job, he said, the only reason I didn't delete your email, because I get emails like that all the time, is because you said you knew Alan. And I went and checked and sure He did enough, remember you. He did remember mm -hmm. me. I love that. But if I had gone to that interview or if I had gone to that lab and played the score horribly. It wouldn't have mattered. They, It wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. So you still have to deliver. And that's what I liked what Carl said. You know, she said, what if I don't do a good job? Well, then you'll never work again. Yeah. He's joking. But if she doesn't do a good job, <laughs> it will hurt her chances. So now is the time for her to deliver. Yeah. I really did not like the last scene between Hank and Sarah. Uh, no. Uh, I'm no. not convinced that it was a 
good idea for her to even ask him. Agreed. I don't think it was. I don't either. I don't think it's generous of her in any way to extend that to him, especially when she knows that he's hurt that he lost the job. It felt a little patronizing. And it was a chance for him to belittle her. Again. And then if yeah. she actually does feel like she's in over her head, then it's hypocritical. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, you know, you're right. I don't deserve this job. Can you help me? <laughs> what? Get out right. of here. And then he is the opposite of a friend by yeah. making her admit that she's yeah. in over her head. That, what bullshit was that? What a dick. <laughs> and then also like doing something that feels just slightly too hard for you. That's how you get better at anything. Yes. Yeah. Like Sarah, this is going to be a great opportunity for you. Yeah. I feel like she regrets Leave Hank that. out of it. Yeah. I agreed. She had it together. I'm like, girl, you are rocking it. Like own it, feel good about it. And then, oh, then you just, you took a whole bunch of steps back and you just gave him like an in. You gave Hank this in to make him feel like he's still better than you. And it's just, it wasn't even a competition. You know, it's like, it wasn't even meant for those two to be pitted right. against each other. It was totally by chance that that you ran into each other in that lobby. I just, uh, he was just so icky, just so yeah. icky. And I just, it goes back to me thinking that I don't know how good he is for her. Like, I don't even mean romantically, but like as a friend, as like, you know, like you want people who build you up. And, you know, this gave me vibes of last season where it's like, oh, well, having a pathetic off with each other, you know, like he's just (laughs) making her feel bad about herself to the point where like, I think maybe if he hadn't been in the episode, like if, if she had just wondered if she should have gotten it and Carl was the only voice in her ear, if she would have been like, okay, well then I have to rise to the occasion. And you know, it, yeah, it just sucks that she felt like she could only do it if she had Hank. I hate yeah. that for her. I do too. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm like, still not a big fan. No. I took a lot of steps back with Hank this episode. A lot of no. steps back. I thought once Hank had the epiphany about himself that I immediately started liking him more and this episode oh, proved. no. No, that's a, a real journey. Agreed. Well, Manal, I don't want to disappoint you with my theme. Now I feel <laughs> like oh, I What is it going to be though? I'm so excited. I feel like my theme was super generic though because the thing I recognized was just parting. Oh. Amber and Ryan were parting. Max and Micah were parting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oliver, <laughs> the braver <laughs> myths. And then maybe be Joel and Julia. Yeah. It sure seemed like that. Oh. But you know, and this is something not to reopen this can of worms, but so what, you know, if we didn't know what was coming next and I don't remember exactly down mm-hmm. to the episode, what's coming next. What do you interpret Joel's declaration at the end of this episode to be like, is that like, I want a divorce or I want to oh. separate or I don't want to go to counseling, but we're just going to keep living like this until we hash out what we're doing. I don't think they're going to live together. I think it's, I need to get away from you. And right now I only want to live for those two kids. Like that's, that's, he had a finality to his voice and to his words. And it was, I don't want to be in the same house as you. I don't want to be in the same room as you. That's how I took it. It feels like he can't really stand her right now. Mm -hmm. He's so mad. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just like a gut wrencher. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess parting, (laughs) <laughs> parting fits them too although melissa liked what you said earlier about humility mm. it did seem to apply a lot you know max doesn't have it hank doesn't have it julia doesn't oh that's true and i i liked what manel said earlier about people confessing to the wrong people oh. <laughs> you know like yeah. like uh you know um ryan being able to confide in zeke but not amber and julia being able to confide in adam but not 
Joel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in some ways, maybe Max being able to talk to Hank and not Micah. You know, I'm not sure. But yeah, look at us. We all came up with a theme. Ah, (laughs) Teamwork makes the dream work. Yes. Love it. I love it. It's pretty great. It's just proof of what a great guest you are, Manel. Oh, you're too sweet. <laughs> you both Thank are the you for joining us again. Oh, yes. yes. I'm you. so excited. It was so nice. Yay. Well, and at the beginning, you mentioned the wine, but do you want to remind people of your website? You know, how oh, they could sure. order from you? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, you can order at www.scoutandseller.com backslash Manel Weedle. And it's a, it would ship directly to you, whatever you choose to order. That's so cool. And again, seller is C-E-L-L-A-R, right? That's like, correct. Like, yeah. Seller like wine seller. That. Yeah. Love yes. That. We'll put a link on our social media. Oh, oh yes. Thanks. And I'm going to use you. it. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, who has time to go buy a bottle of wine at the store? This is I know. You know, it's so much easier. Just ship it to me. Yes. Do it. I just want booze on my stoop. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Waiting for me when I get home from a long day. Yeah. Yes, this was so nice. Definitely the highlight to my week. Well, I absolutely love talking to you. And it's so fun because, I mean, honestly, beyond just like Facebook pleasantries, mm-hmm. like, would we have talked again I if know. not for the, you know, and it's just like kind of beautiful when you think of it like that. I like, agree. it's so nice that a common interest would lead to all this and just kind of reconnecting. I really, really love that. It That might be my favorite thing about having this podcast is just feeling connected to people, especially yeah. during the pandemic. But I like that it's even now, like, you know, like that, because I really love deep connections and not, you know, small talk. So. Same here. Yeah. Um, listeners, please check us out on our social meds. Um, We got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Parenthood Pals everywhere. And the old webby, parenthoodpals.com. <laughs> Do kids, no one's ever called it No one's ever called it that ever, but you know what? Until me, now. That's right. No one ever said social meds either. And we've made that sweep the nation. That's not true. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you out there in the dark for listening to us. And until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.